Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here on January 20th, 2021, breaking down all that's going on in Minnesota. plans. I mean, there's a whole heck of a lot going on here in the world of Minnesota sports. We got a really loaded show today. This is actually great. There's a whole lot of content. I was doing my show prep, going through all my notes, and I was like, dang, I'm, I'm really excited to get this podcast going. So um, I'd like to start off the bat, though, before we get really any deeper uh, with our twins or with our uh, wolves and wild talk is that Sinclair, Fox Sports North, Sinclair Media Group, which owns Fox Sports North and a bunch of other regional Fox Sports channels around the country, they're a bunch of jerks. They, I, I have no love for them right now because they have taken Fox Sports North off of YouTube TV, they've taken it off of Hulu Live, they've taken it off of Dish Network and, uh, and other streaming services, Sling TV is another one. I mean, they, there's just a whole bunch. Basically, if you have direct TV and maybe some local cable, uh, you can get it, otherwise you are out of luck. And everybody loves the hassle of having to switch your provider and having to go from this to that, or or maybe you like your provider and and all this kind of stuff. The, the whole point is, there's a whole issue I can get into. The point is, is it's been months, and Fox Sports North, and I know that, this, the, don't blame the intern who has to tweet this, blame the company mandate that's making him tweet this, is... Uh, that every single time somebody complains on Twitter, they have a corporate thing that's like, oh, this is YouTube TV's fault. This is Hulu's fault. This isn't our fault, guys. We're, we're giving them fair offers. I don't believe you. When it's this many companies who are all not on your service because you say that you've given them fair deals that they've turned down, I'm, I, I don't believe you. I'm sorry. Maybe you, maybe you did. I don't know. We don't have enough information on this. The point is, it doesn't sound like they're coming back anytime soon, and that sucks because as somebody who has YouTube TV, I've been having to make up through other ways. I've been having to make up through watching highlights, through going um, to to you know going out to eat, going you know uh, just watching it at, at other. Uh, places that have that thing or you just don't watch it at all and you try and catch up through highlights or you try and catch up through kind of the Twitterverse of kind of live tweeting the game and all all that kind of stuff and and it's just led to a mess it's led to a huge mess and you know honestly I I, I really don't understand because this isn't just a Minnesota sports thing this is uh, there are other markets around the country that are also having to suffer that have these regional Fox Sports North um, channels and I remember a couple of years ago now this was obviously pre-pandemic, so this probably has no grain of truth to it anymore, is that the Polads, the Polad family, you know, who owned the Minnesota Twins, were interested in buying Fox Sports North. Um, and that, as a Twins fan, I was like, that's a great idea. They really should do that. One, it localizes. It keeps Fox Sports North kind of owned in, you know, in people who have ties to Minnesota, who, you know, obviously have a lot more than just a, a national company. And also the poll ads have money. So, it's, it, again, there's still going to be a good, like, the employees are still going to get all the benefits, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, but also is that it gave the Twins, it would give the Twins the option to get more money from TV deals. Because instead of having to pay Fox Sports North, or Fox Sports North pay them, they just own Fox Sports North. So they get all the revenue from the channel, which would in turn give them more money to spend on free agents and all that kind of stuff. It would bring up the net value of the team. Because some of the biggest uh, teams out there, the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, they're all teams that have their own uh, channels to, you know, the Yankee Entertainment Service, um, uh, Sportsnet New York. Um, I think that I think um, Spectrum with the Dodgers or a Time Warner thing. Either way, they have their own channels, which in turn give them a whole heck of a lot of money and revenue. So, um, 
you know, again, I thought it would have been a great idea for them to jump on that and buy it. They didn't, for whatever reason, or negotiations fell through. Now with the pandemic, I highly doubt that those talks are going to be going on anytime soon. Um, so, you know, just fo- not having Fox Sports North sucks uh, on my TV. Um, but don't worry, I've still been able to catch up. I've still been able to watch. I've still been able to, you know, fi- I've found ways here and there. I'm just saying it's it's not fun. It'd be much easier to have it um, on my TV and just be able to watch it when I get home from work or, or whatever. Um, but... Also, another thing of note, DirecTV on Monday during the Wolves game when they were playing the Atlanta Hawks, it crashed, apparently, according to Dane Moore on Twitter, uh, who, if you want to listen to a lot of good Timberwolves stuff, follow him on Twitter. Um, You know, he... uh, he said DirecTV was down, so he couldn't watch the game. I mean, it's just getting ridiculous. Like, And also, uh, one last note on this Fox Sports North thing, and then we'll get into the Minnesota sports, is that there's a whole lot of, there's a whole heck of a lot of places you can find online, allegedly, um, to go and watch the game. And whether it's legal or not, people find ways to bootleg it, people find ways to watch streams, and all it's going to do is when Fox Sports North eventually gets back on these things, they're going to be like, you know what, forget it, we're just going to watch, we're going to, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, for cord cutters, people who it's like, well, the only reason I have YouTube TV is to watch live sports, you know, and save money on my cable bill, like I don't, you know, I want, you know, I'll just get rid of YouTube TV and I'll just watch that, so... You know, it, like it's going to hurt Fox Sports North in the long run because then people won't, people will be just watching illegal streams. I, I don't understand how they think that this is going to help them in the long run. They need to come and make a deal. None of this, aw shucks, we're in a pandemic. This needs to be figured out. Um, anyway, so let's get on to the Minnesota Wild. Um, so uh, yesterday, uh, last night, there was a trade. Uh, Paterin went to uh, from the Wild, and now he's going to the Avs. Uh, we're getting back Cole in his place. Just a swap of veteran defensemen. It's just kind of like a, I think it maybe it's like a cap clearing thing for Colorado to get a little bit more cap room, and the, the Wild just kind of flipping to another veteran defenseman, just kind of maybe hoping a change of scenery will uh, help kind of establish him. Um, not really much of a, a big move, any sorts, just kind of a veteran role player for another veteran role player. Um, nothing huge right there, but, um, I think through the first three games of the season so far is the wild have been exciting to watch at least the first two games. Um, Kirill Kaprizov is amazing. I mean, waiting six years, I mean, as uh, somebody who's picked up the wild in recent years, um, the constant buzz I was hearing was always, um, wait for Kaprizov, this Russian kid, when he gets here, he's going to be amazing, like, that's the hope of the franchise, that's what we're waiting on, and I was always like, okay, well, that's interesting, it always gave me Ricky Rubio vibes, like, once Rubio gets here from Spain, this franchise is going to take off, and I kind of got, you know, a little bit burnt on that one, so I was just kind of like, all right, well, maybe we'll see, and then he comes here, and immediately in training camp, he's skating around other players, according to people who are at practices, you know, um, I mean, the skating circles around guys like Parisi, Suter, you know, which is something that, by the way, like I've talked about uh, kind of in the wild offseason after they got eliminated was kind of like, hey, you know, this team needs to get faster. They need to, they're just old, they're slower. And in this NHL, you need to be able to move around the ice. Kaprizov gives them that speed, um, makes them fun. I mean, some of the goals he had, I mean, the game-winning goal in opening night and then setting up a, a suitor to get that goal at the very last second. I mean, just a whole bunch of fun, like 0.3 seconds watching that goal. I saw it and I got excited. Legitimately, the first time I got excited watching a wild game in a very long time. Um, so I, I make the wild fun for once. Like that's that's not make the wild fun again because they've really, outside of thin stretches here and there, maybe like one season, they've never been fun. They've never been like a fun team to watch. Even when they've been good, it was just kind of they do their business, they win, and they go home. Except for maybe the 2016-17 season, 
outside of the playoffs. They were probably the most fun wild team. But now uh, this they have, at least with Kaprizov, they have a core to start being a fun team to watch, being an exciting team to watch, being a team that, that NHL Network and, and NBCSN, who, by the way, the Wild are on tonight uh, when they play Anaheim, um, you know, want to pick up these games and want to, you know, have them on national TV. And I think Kaprizov is a guy that can do that. So he's the real deal. I think the main critique I think I've noticed so far, and again, this, you know, is just kind of from hearing kind of the consensus. I think the main critique of him so far has been he tries to be a little bit more splashy. He's that young guy trying to come in and prove himself and maybe doing a little bit too much at times. Um, you know, trying to make the big play, and sometimes you just need to make the right play, the sound play, you know, and, and kind of do all that stuff. But I think Kaprizov has been really good. I think that's going to come with time, too. I think he's a veteran, he's trying, or he's a rookie, he's trying to come in, he's trying to make his mark, he's trying to show everyone he can play, and, and he has so far. And, like, that'll come as he gets more experience in the NHL, as he gets kind of figures out how the league, uh, how the style of play is, and kind of adapts, and all that kind of stuff. So I think he'll grow into a really good player. I think if the Wild can keep him around, I think the Wild have a star, uh, the next face of the franchise to kind of, you know, lead the way out of the Parisi Suter era and lead into the new era. Um, also, I want to look at uh, Cam Talbot uh, has been okay through the first three games. Um, you know, brought him over from Calgary in the offseason to replace Dubnik. Um, it was a really interesting deal, kind of basically like we don't really have any good options right now. And he's kind of, he was one of those top guys on the market uh, for free agent goalies last year. So it's just kind of, I don't think he's the future at goalie, but I think he's a nice little stopgap. Um, you know, he'll probably have his up and down stretches like Dubnik. You know, I'm not, you know, is he better than Dubnik? We'll have to see. Like, I'm not going to say he's better that the all, the Wild have immediately upgraded. I think they have a nice, I don't think they've downgraded. And I think for a team like the Wild, I think that's perfectly fine. I think he's a stopgap in a team that's kind of trying to, to retool while also trying to play, be competitive in the last, in the back half of the Parisi and the Suter contracts. Um, you know, I think he's been fine. I think, you know. Uh, I think, you know, obviously giving up three goals, uh, to, uh, Anaheim or not Anaheim to LA on the second game of the season, a little if, but also at the same time, I mean, Dubnik gave up like three goals in a period over the weekend. So, I mean, goalies in the NHL, they're just streaky. You can never really, I mean, rare are you going to find ones with consistent play. So, you know, I, I think we'll be fine with Talbot. Now that can all change. It's only been three games, but I think so far so good, um, for that side, the one bit more energy um you know the goalie play has been fine so far they're 0 for 16 on the power play that is abysmal that is really really bad 0 for 16 when they have a man advantage um so that's going to be something that they're going to need to fix and again that's going to be something where you know you're trying to with guys on the power play you're trying to get guys like Kaprizov out there Kaprizov's got the energy but he doesn't have kind of that instinct yet he doesn't have kind of that he doesn't have kind of the knowledge or the wisdom of playing in this league yet to really be a great power play uh guy and I think that that'll come with time I think the lines have been a little bit weird but I also think that uh it'll again it'll just come as the season goes on but right now early indications is they got to get that fixed I don't know if they have to shake up the rotations or the lines or what they have to do but they got to figure something out because 0 for 16 on a power play is really bad maybe they'll have a chance tonight uh when they play Anaheim again but um Anyway, uh, again, this Wild team, they're rough around the edges. They're not perfect, but they do have, I mean, they're like the Wild have always been. They Parisi and Suter and uh, Spurgeon and all these kind of guys, they have guys who can play. They're not a team devoid of talent. They're a team good enough to not be considered rebuilding, but not good enough to be considered cup contenders. So like the last probably 
four years, kind of after that one run they had in 16-17, they've kind of been sitting in that land of mediocrity where we're, you know, we're not bad, but we're not great either. You know, we're stuck in no man's land. You're kind of just mediocre. And in the NHL, yeah, you can make the play. You can sneak into the playoffs and get booted in the first round, but I don't know what that gets you. I mean, I think the wild ownership, and we'll talk about this in a little bit with the Vikings, but I think the wild ownership, because it's the state of hockey and because the fan base is so passionate, you really don't, it's really hard to sell them when you're trying to sell tickets. It's really hard to sell wild fans and season ticket holders on, hey guys, let's tank for three years and let's come back. I think the Twins are more willing to do that because I think the Twins have been you know, bad throughout the years, you know, when you look at like the, the mid to late nineties, when you look at kind of the eighties, when you look at a lot of uh, the early eighties, you know, when you look at a lot of twins baseball, there's a lot of, ten- there's a lot of losing seasons and there's a lot of rebuilding going on and rebuilding and coming up and rebuilding and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's, you know, it sucks and fans don't show up when you lose, but I think twins fans, when, and again, a lot of Twins fans are Wild fans, but I think when you're in the Twins fan perspective, you're like, okay, you know what, we got to rebuild. But I think when you're the Wild, you're the state of hockey, you need to be winning, you need to be competing. And I think ownership would rather have a team consistently make the playoffs than a team bottom out in hopes that you can get talent to make a cup run. I think they're okay with being a team that's good enough to be in the playoffs, and then maybe you'll just get lucky and make a run. Now, you can do that, and I think hockey's the easiest sport to just go on a run in the postseason if your goalie gets hot, you know, at the right time. But I just don't know if that's going to work long term. I I think that's just the way the Wild are set up, and I think we'll have to see. I mean, maybe you ride out the Parisi suitor contracts and maybe you're able to find a gem here and there. And, and then when Parisi and Suter leave, you can use all that cap flexibility to try and make a move. But the problem is Parisi and Suter are only halfway through their contracts. We, we you know, they they still have a lot of years to go. So it's not going to get any easier, um, especially as their play starts to rapidly decline and you still have to pay them a lot of money. So we'll see. But the Wild will be a team that's going to compete for that final playoff spot, and it'll be interesting to see as the season goes on um, kind of what they can do. I mean, this team is capable of being hot. I mean, we've, we've watched the Wild play the last few seasons. They're a team that's capable of getting hot and cold really fast, and I think now with Boudreaux gone, I think it'll be interesting to see if the new guy can can do something here, can maybe get a little bit more consistent play, or maybe when the highs get high be able to you know, keep the team focused. And when the, and when the team starts to go on one of those stretches where they get ice cold, can they be able to turn it around? Now, I'm not saying that that was, um, not saying that that was a Boudreaux thing because Mike Yo certainly had that problem too, but, um, it'll be interesting to see again, new coach, maybe new culture, seeing what happens for the wild, but, uh, still there's a lot of fun stuff. And I think Kaprizov alone will be worth, um, getting wild fans invested, selling jerseys and being able to let fans back into the X when the time is right. So, um, Let's move on to a team that won't get butts and seats. I think it's better that the Wolves don't sell seats and tickets because you can forget that the Target Center is usually empty most of the time and that the Wolves are bottom in ticket sales because the stadium, even though they just renovated it, it's kind of it's just okay. It's nothing special. And the Wolves product is definitely anything from special most of the time. This Wolves team frustrates me so much because there is so much talent on this team. Carl Anthony Towns. No, he's hurt. No, he just got COVID. D'Angelo Russell talented. Malik Beasley, talented, worth every penny of that new contract. Anthony Edwards, raw, but talented. Um, Ricky Rubio, a veteran, you know, he, there, there is talent on this Wolves team. There are guys that can play. And I I know that they're in a salary cap situation because they're paying D'Angelo and Cat. I know that. I know that they're having some issues here. But what am I even watching when I watch this Wolves team? I know it's been a mess this year without Carl Anthony Towns. 
No cat is not good. Now, cat hurt his wrist. He's been out of you know been out since the first week of the season. Was able to come back against San Antonio. They lost, but still showed up, and then they were able to beat a DeRozanless Spurs the next day. But um, you know, cat got COVID um, along with a few other guys on the team. Um, so seven again. Carl Anthony Towns has had a huge battle with COVID. It goes without saying, cat had seven family members die of COVID nineteen. I mean, it's just. It's brutal, and I'm sure that's not... I mean, it's not fun to get sick anyways, especially with COVID. I'm sure it's just especially brutal for him. So best wishes, prayers to to him, and hope he gets well and his family family is able to go through to get through that. But man, back to the basketball side of things. You know, no cat... They're not, they're not a winning team without cat. They look a loss without Carl Anthony Towns, which again, D'Angelo Russell is talented. D'Angelo Russell has been the guy on a team before. There have been Brooklyn Net teams. There have been, um, you know, times when he was on the Lakers, when he was just the guy. And granted, neither of those teams, I mean, they were. he started to get hot in Brooklyn towards the end before he eventually got dealt to, uh, before eventually got dealt to the Warriors. But still, D'Angelo Russell is a guy capable of, you know, he has enough talent. Malik Beasley has talent. Anthony Edwards is raw. He's 19 years old. He had virtually no kind of prep for this season. Um, you know, you kind of just got thrown into the fire. So he hasn't gotten a, as many minutes, maybe as some people thought, for a number one overall draft pick. But we all knew coming in that Anthony Edwards was extremely raw. So, I th- I mean, there's just a... <sighs> this team is so frustrating because after years and, you know, they got the one playoff berth and then you kind of saw it start to fall apart again. Rosas was able to basically flip the script on this entire team. And now you thought, okay... The new fresh team, Saunders is the coach. They all can grow together and they can all figure this thing out. And I think they will. But the problem is, I don't know if Saunders is that guy to lead them through it. I was a guy who's very high on Ryan Saunders as head coach. I thought Ryan Saunders should have been the head coach, you know, when Tibbs got fired. And then they replaced Saunders. I said, you know what? Saunders is the guy. This is a talented Wolves team. And Tibbs was just too hard. He was too much of a dictator in a sense. You know, if he just you know, was his way, yelling, screaming, all this kind of stuff. Saunders was a breath of fresh air, a kind of change of pace, a kind of just go out, do your thing. And I and I thought that there, there was a lot of truth to that. There was a, a lot of value in that uh, for that team at the time. Now, the team got dramatically younger. Carl Anthony Towns is growing into a leader. You can see it over this season, especially, that Carl Anthony Towns is turning into a leader. He's starting to develop an edge. He He's not... You know, the the myth at the beginning of his career was that he was soft. And I th- hopefully, at least in Minnesota, he squashed that. And hopefully the Wolves team can be competitive so he can squash that nationally. National media narratives are lazy, by the way. I've said that before. But um, anyway, um, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is good. This team has talent. And Saunders just isn't getting it out of them. I mean... It's a different situation than it was two years ago. I thought Saunders was perfect for just kind of, this team's talented, I'm just going to kick back, do my thing. Kind of a Steve Kerr, a diet Steve Kerr. My team's talented, I'm just going to try and keep everybody focused and just try and keep everybody calm, laid back. Let's not make uh, expectations too high on ourselves. Let's not wear ourselves out. And I think now, I think it's just a completely different team because you can't kick your feet back. Guys like Anthony Edwards, they need to figure out how to play in this league. They need somebody to guide them, to teach them. And I know players do that a lot, but you also need help from your head coach. You have Carl Anthony Towns, who likes Saunders. He's going to need a coach. Like, they have a good buddy-buddy relationship, but you're going to need to figure out how to push Cat at times. You're going to need to figure out how to get the best out of him. You're going to need to figure out how to do that with D'Angelo Russell. I mean, I just, this whole team, I mean, when you look at Saunders' rotations, his end-of-game management, it's just all a mess. He's not getting anything out of these guys. There is no excuse for this. 
I know Cat's being hurt, but there's no excuse for only winning three games through the first month of the season. There is no excuse for that. The Wolves are, if I uh, search their record here, they are 3-9. and nine. There is a no excuse for this team being 3-9. and nine. Now, maybe they tank again. And maybe they say, you know, COVID season, let's just try and grow. Let's get one more draft pick and, you know, use it to trade or use it to, you know, whatever package and Edwards in a pick and try and get one more star player or, or whatever you want to say. Rosas, you know, has been known to wheel and deal. But also at the same time, it just, I, I don't know. I With everything, I, like, the Wolves can't hit another full rebuild. But also, Carl Anthony Towns... If you don't put a winning product on the court soon, Towns is going to get to the end of his max contract, and he's going to want out, just like every star player does in a small to medium market. Unless you can put a winning product on the court, they're going to want out. Even bigger markets like Houston. Houston's one of the top six biggest cities in the country. They have a huge media market. They like they have money to spend, and Harden left. To find something better. You need to have a good team on the court if you're Minnesota. If you can't find that, and if, I mean, it might tick Carl Anthony Towns off if you fire Saunders. It might. But if you bring in a coach who can win and not make him feel like he's being diminished, like Tibbs did, it'll be fine. He'll get over it. He likes Saunders, but I'm sure he's not the only coach he'll want, especially if he can win. Because eventually, Cat will leave if you don't put a good product on the court. Cat might even leave anyways. So don't waste this time thinking you're going to have Cat forever. Anyway, so they, they're they playing the Magic tonight. If they don't win tonight, Wolves' Twitter is going to be in chaos. It's going to just be abysmal. But on a lighter note, let's uh, move to the Twins, who haven't done anything either. Um, you know, uh, winning, I, I have this down in my notes, winning a title is getting harder by the day. Let alone winning the AL Central is getting harder to win by the day. The Chicago White Sox, who have won the offseason the last two years, are getting better. Now, whether you believe that they're enough to overtake the Twins, especially with manager Tony La Russa, or that they're a ticking time bomb with the way that they're all put together, you know. Now, winning could cure a lot of things if they're able to do that, but if they're not, they're a ticking time bomb. But that still doesn't deny the White Sox are talented. And the Blue Jays, they just signed uh, Springer last night to a six-year, $150 million contract. They just signed Michael Brantley to a three-year contract. This is The Blue Jays went from kind of fringe playoff contender to they're competing for the East. They're competing with the Yankees. They're competing with the Rays. They're making the moves. They want to win. Their front office is going out, and they're getting aggressive. They have a young core. They bring in Springer and Brantley, two veteran players. Brantley is going to be a good veteran presence for that locker room, for that clubhouse. And I just, I mean, so there's another option. Even if you're like, well, the Twins can make a wild card, or even if the playoffs expand. Making the playoffs isn't enough for the Twins anymore. You got back to the playoffs in 17. You won the division in 19. You just won it again last year. That's great. But you can't, that's what the Twins did in the early 2000s. Well, we won the division, and that's great. We'll win it again, and we'll just see what happens. No, you need to, this, I'm I'm just getting fed up with the Twins. I'm getting fed up with them. They. I like Felvey and Levine, the front office. They are smart guys. I like Rocco. I think he's a smart manager. I think that they're guys who make very calculated and strategic moves, but also at the same time, it's getting frustrating. I think they're getting too cute with this. Now, if you kind of remember the last couple off seasons, you know, if you look at the off season of 2018, they signed Lance Lynn, Logan Morrison. They signed a couple of these guys late, like a couple weeks into spring training. Um, 
and for better or worse, like that's how that's how they did it. Now the signings weren't particularly great, but um, at least for their twins' careers. But it was you know that's how they did it. 2019, they sign. Uh, I'm losing my train of thought here, but they sign. They get. I think they made a lot of their moves early in 2019, getting guys like CJ Crone, getting guys like Jonathan Scope. But they didn't make them till late January, February. So even later in the offseason, they were making moves in December. And then you look at last season, they make the Josh Donaldson signing. They make that in mid to late January. And they're a team that really just kind of likes to wait. They're a team that just... Nelson Cruz was another one. That one was, I think, early January uh, 2019. But this is just a team that they get cute. Now, I think some of these moves, you know, they don't retain Matt Weisler. Trevor May doesn't come back. Um... Tyler Clippard's gone. You're not re-signing him. Sergio Romo's not coming back. You have to figure out what you're going to do with your bullpen. And I know they signed Hansel Robles from the Angels, who was good in 2019 but terrible in 2020. So you're kind of hoping you can turn him around. And I know you signed a couple minor league guys you're hoping to turn around. And I know Jorge Alcala looks good, uh, You know, has the talent. And I know Taylor Rogers, when he's on, can be one of the best relievers in baseball. Um, but... You're getting too cute with how you think you can build a bullpen, that you can just find these projects and turn them around. Now, I'm not asking you to shell big money on the bullpen like the the 2018 Colorado Rockies or something, but what I am asking you to do is just to do something. I mean, all of when Liam Hendricks went to Chicago and kind of broke the market, all the other dominoes started to fall in the reliever, uh, the reliever realm. Um, you know, I mean, people are going off left and right, um, and... It's just the Twins are left with nothing still. Now, they've been in negotiations with a couple players. I'm sure they've kicked the tires. They've done their due diligence or whatever kind of Twitter word or whatever kind of buzzword you want to buzz phrase you want to put in with a lot of these offseason moves. But the point is, is that, and I know that this is a tired thing, and I'm not going to go into the cheap poll ads thing because I think that's tired. I think that that uh, narrative is kind of worn out. I want to do something fresh. I think the Twins have gotten too cute with their ability to rely on their homegrown talent and their scouting department's ability to, to kind of find diamonds in the rough. And I think that they've done good. I think guys like Matt Weisler was a nobody until the Twins were like, hey, throw your slider more. And he became one of the better relievers in baseball. I think turning Caleb Thielbar into a decent relief pitcher uh, was something to credit that the pitching staff for in their philosophy. I'm not saying they can't do it, but I'm saying that you have to overhaul one of the best bullpens in baseball last season, and you got to figure out how to do it. And bringing in minor league free agents and hoping that your homegrown talent is good enough to just restock the farm is very, very risky. And on top of that, you have depth questions. You know, Eddie Rosario's gone. Kirilov's probably going to replace him. That's kind of my, uh, that's kind of my going rate, uh, kind of my going guess for the outfield. So you have Kirilov, Buxton, Kepler in the outfield. You're going to have Donaldson at, at third base. You're going to have Polanco at short, Arise at second, um, Sano at first, and then you'll have. Uh, kind of Garver Jeffers rotation there at catcher, but it's beside the fact of you don't have any depth. Erie Adrianza is he coming back? We don't know. Um, you look at Marwin Gonzalez. There's rumors that the Twins want to go back to Marwin Gonzalez. The Twins have kind of reached out to him about a reunion, and I think Marwin's fine. I think he's a good role player. I think he's good for what he is. He wasn't what he was in 2019, but not a lot of players were. So I think, you know, he's a solid kind of a utility man. But, I mean, 
your problems go way beyond just finding that. I mean, there are questions as to should the Twins be aggressive and try and find somebody to play shortstop and then move Polanco to second and then figure out what to do with Arise because he's certainly not kind of your long-term starter. He's just kind of a guy you're penciling in for now. So, I mean, I don't... I mean, I know you have Nick Gordon. I know you have Brent Rooker. I know you have some guys in the minors who need to get up and they need to start playing. But you can't just rely... And this is what the Twins did kind of before everything fell apart in 2011. Um, is they were just kind of like, well, we're, our young guys are going to come up and they're going to restock and we're just going to r- keep running. And then some of your prospects fade. Some of your guys don't turn out. You know, Delman Young falls off a cliff. Um, some Nishioka turns out to be a bust. Um, you don't have any top pitching prospects in your thing. And I know that that's a credit to the last the, the last regime, but still, um, you know, they have to do something here. They have to, f- they, their lack of making moves is honestly just it's just mind-boggling because you look at other teams and they're making moves the White Sox are making moves and and, and I think the main critique here the Blue Jays are making moves but back to the White Sox the White Sox are getting credit as being the team to run the Central now and I think they've earned people being able to have that conversation I think they've earned that right to be considered the top team in the Central I still think the Twins are better but I because the White Sox still are inexperienced and I don't know how Tony La Russa's manager is going to turn out but they have gotten better on paper they are a team that sees their window as opening and they're ready to take full advantage. The Twins' window opened after the 2019 season. It's like, all right, let's compete. They signed Josh Donaldson. That was great. They brought in Kenta Maeda. That was great. They had a great offseason last year. Now, I know Josh Donaldson was hurt, but he's still a guy who, you know, like the Twins showed, they're like, we're going to be aggressive. And I get this offseason with COVID and spending. I'm not asking you to, to get Francisco Lindor. I'm not asking you to sign Jorge Springer. I'm asking you to just do something other than bring in Hansel Robles because that is the Twins' that is the twins offseason plan so far is a no-name reliever from the Angels, a team that is not known for their pitching and their bullpen. they got to figure it out soon. They have to figure something out soon. I, I mean, you, I know that it's been the twin style to just sit back, wait, and just kind of trust the process, but you need to maximize your opportunity. A team like the White Sox, they're doing that. And I know teams that, I've said this before, teams that win the offseason don't usually win the World Series. You know, the Miami Marlins, they won the 2012 offseason. They were terrible. The Toronto Blue Jays in 2014 won the offseason, or 2013, or whatever it was. They won the offseason. They weren't good until, like, three years later. So they, like, that, and that trade didn't really do much to get them there. Um, So teams, the Chicago White Sox won the offseason last year. They almost won the Central, but it still caused them being the third-place team in the Central and a first-round playoff exit. Obviously not what they were planning for. So I think there's a lot of there's just, here's the thing teams that win the offseason don't don't they don't win the World Series typically but that doesn't mean that teams who win the World Series sit and do nothing the offseason before the Astros they brought in guys like Carlos Beltran they brought in guys like Brian McCann they brought in veteran players because they were like hey our, we have our young core that's ready to come in here and win let's bring in some of these guys let's bring in you know, all, you know, they eventually brought, they brought in Justin Verlander, but that was in, that was even after the trade deadline, that was a waiver trade. Um, but still they, they maximized their window and they brought in players, but they brought in guys like Brian McCann. They brought in guys like Carlos Beltran in the off season and they paid dividends. And I know that Carlos Beltran especially helped in the cheating thing, but that's beside the point. The point is, is they went to get players to maximize their opportunity. Nationals, 
They lost Bryce Harper. What did they do? They got Patrick Corbin. They shirt up one of the best rotations in baseball that helped carry them along with Juan Soto and some of the others to a World Series. They figured, you know, they figured out how to do it. They they added pieces. They knew that they were still a competitive team. They still were able to do something. They didn't sit back and say, "Well, we'll let our well, we'll just let our next crew figure it out." You now this one's not, I think, akin to the Twins, but not one I'm expecting the Twins to make. But the Dodgers, they traded. Now again, the White Sox won the offseason last year because they made a whole heck of a bunch of moves and they had a young and exciting core. But the Dodgers, they got Mookie Betts. And they also got David Price, but David Price was basically a salary dump, and he ended up opting out due to COVID anyways. But they got Mookie Betts, and Mookie Betts was the key reason that they won the World Series. So the point is is that you don't have to win the offseason to have a good offseason. You don't have to make all the moves. You don't have to be the San Diego Padres, you know? And they're also a team that won the offseason. And do I think the Padres are going to win the World Series? Probably not, but they're going to be a team that's going to be in the mix. You know, I'm, I don't have a Chicago... If you're a media person trying to make a clickbaity title, you're doing your Padres, White Sox, World Series preview already. But the Twins need to figure out something soon. Because Marwin coming back isn't enough. But let's go back to the Padres a second. They're a small market team. They're not LA. They're not Chicago. They're not New York. They're not Boston. They're not Houston. They are a small market team, just like the Twins, with a good farm system, and they were able to trade for Blake Snell. They were able to trade for you, Darvish. They were able to bring in guys, and they didn't deplete their farm system. They barely touched it. They still have a bunch of their top prospects, a bunch of their top... I don't think they had to give up a single top five prospect, and they were able to still have a really great team on the field, and a farm system that if those guys don't work out, they can always throw them up there. So... I I don't understand. I don't know. I, I don't think it's ownership. I think it's just the Twins' philosophy. I think it's the guys that they have in charge. And I think that they need to figure something out soon because this is getting incredibly tough to watch. This is getting, as other teams are maximizing their capacity, the Blue Jays are doing it, the White Sox are doing it, the Padres are doing it. All three of those teams broke playoff droughts to get back to the playoffs, and they're like, let's go. The Twins, when they try and figure, I mean... I, I don't know. I, I Valvin Levine are smart. Baldelli's a smart guy. This is a talented Twins team. They are still going to compete. I'm not saying the Twins are going to lose a bunch of games. The Twins very may well still win the Central. But all I'm saying is they need to do more to try and maximize their opportunity. And if they don't, and it ends with another playoff sweep, if it ends with them getting swept in the first round of the playoffs again, they have nobody to blame but themselves. And that's the front office, not the team. The team tries their best, but you, you didn't maximize their opportunities. And you already caused a little bit of a rift in 2017 when you didn't maximize an opportunity of a team that tried to make a playoff run. Now, it was better for the franchise in the long term, but the point is, is eventually some of these players are going to be like, why am I playing for an organization that's not trying to win? They're just trying to, again, like the Wild, make the playoffs and then be like, oh, shucks, but at least we made the playoffs and at least we're a fun team, you know, at least we're a competitive team, you know. And I think that's sometimes Minnesota sports. They're too, uh, they're too obsessed with just being competitive and just being a good team that they are afraid of being the great team. And I think that's my biggest critique of Minnesota sports. The Wild, they're they're too afraid to blow it up or to try and you know reflip the team because they're just okay with first round playoff exits. They are just okay with making the playoffs and being there. 
The Twins are the same way. The Vikings are the same way. And we'll get into that in a second. So we're moving into the Vikings here. Uh, the biggest story in the NFL over the last week or so probably has to be Deshaun Watson. I think, it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of drama just unfolding by the minute. A new detail gets turned. A new layer gets peeled off. Um, Deshaun Watson probably played his last snap in Houston. I don't see there's a chance that he comes back unless Houston just sits there and says, you know what, we're going to run out. I don't even know who their backup quarterback is. We're going to run out uh, whoever until you play, and we'll sit there and we'll lose games, but we're not going to cave into you. Their ownership might do it. I could see it. We'll have to – I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the Steelers played hardball, but that was also with Le'Veon Bell, who was their good running back, who was the best, one of the best running backs in the league, but also wasn't the quarterback, the franchise quarterback, the one who you're paying a lot of money and who also your, you know, like your whole franchise rests on. That team was not good last season, and that was with Deshaun just basically doing all he could. But that team was just so poor. And now if you take him off that, they're going to be a team that that goes a lot worse. It goes a lot lower. Um, I think he's probably played his last snap in Houston, or at least he hopes. Um, you know, there's been messages on Twitter and reports to Mortensen and Schefter that I'm sure are coming directly from Deshaun Watson or his agent. Um, about how much he wants to leave. He would love the Dolphins. Oh, the Dolphins all of a sudden. You know, Deshaun whispering, Dolphins, this is my wink and nod. Come make a call or something. Um, which I think would be weird. I think giving up after Tua is a little desperate. I think, you know, you made a big deal about getting him, you know. So, you, I mean, giving up on him that early. Is it the worst thing if you get Deshaun Watson? No, but, I mean... You're a team that's you have a rookie contract, so you're able to build a better team around him. But Deshaun Watson takes the Dolphins to a Super Bowl contender, I think. Um, they have a good enough defense, they have good enough pieces around him. But anyway, um, Deshaun Watson, back to the Vikings angle, needs to come to Minnesota. He needs to figure out some way to get to the Vikings, but it's not going to happen. I mean, they need. To, I mean, at the very least, you need to the Vikings who won't trade for him, but they should. Um, you at least need to prevent him from going to Chicago whether you get in there and you try and up the ante to where Chicago can't pay or you try and just get him yourself. Like, you can't let Deshaun Watson go to the Bears. If Deshaun Watson goes to the Bears, they're a team that's very capable. They're, heck, they're a team that went 8-8 eight eight with Mitch Trubisky. They're a team that was able to go 12-4 one year with Mitch Trubisky with that defense. So if you put a good quarterback, like a great quarterback like Deshaun Watson on that team, yeah, they're they're way better than the Vikings. I mean, they're probably on level with the Vikings right now with just how much better of a defense they have, you know. And then getting Deshaun Watson makes them a team. The Packers are still probably the better team just because Aaron Rodgers, but they're a team that can win. They're a team that can win the NFC North. They're a team that's far better than the Vikings at that rate. So they have to figure something out there. Um, Minnesota's not going to trade for him, though. Just the Kirk Cousins... This is my gut-level feeling, and we'll get into some ways in how this cannot happen and how the Vikings can get rid of Cousins and maybe get a quarterback like Deshaun Watson or just set themselves up to get a quarterback in the draft. We'll get into that in a second, but here's just my gut-level before I get into this, before you think I'm a tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorist here. Um, Deshaun Watson's not going to leave, and the Viking or Deshaun Watson's not going to leave Houston for Minnesota. One is Deshaun Watson has a full no-trade clause, so he's not. I, I don't think he wants to come to Minnesota right now. Um, also, you got to get rid of Kirk Cousins. And also, does the team really want to give up on Kirk Cousins after signing to an extension last season? You're paying him so much money, so much guaranteed money. Now, Kirk doesn't have a no-trade clause in this contract. He did in the last one. Now, in this new one, he doesn't. 
But the Vikings owe Kirk Cousins $60 million over the next two seasons. You have to find a team that, A, has the cap space to take him, and B, is willing to take on Kirk Cousins. I think there's only one team in the league that will do that realistically, and that is the San Francisco 49ers. A team that could also just say, heck, we're going to trade for Deshaun Watson ourselves. But I think Kyle Shanahan was Kirk's offensive coordinator in Washington for his first couple seasons. The Shanahans drafted Kirk Cousins. They love Kirk Cousins. We've talked about this before. You know, that's the one team you can trade him to. Shanahan thinks he can win with Kirk Cousins. The Shanahans love Kirk Cousins. Heck, there was a report that Cousins originally was going to go to Denver if the Broncos were to rehire Mike Shanahan. Uh, instead, they hired Vance Joseph, and the rest kind of lets itself unfold. But the point is, is you have, you know, you, you the point is, is there is kind of a way to work around. There is a way with this, there's a way to get uh, Kirk Cousins off your team and get his contract out there with you. And that is trading him to the San Francisco 49ers. But if you trade him to the San Francisco 49ers, are you able to then have the draft capital to turn around and get Deshaun Watson? Houston, now they don't have a first-round pick, so any first-round pick to them is going to be worth their weight in gold, especially if you can get one this year. So if you give Kirk Cousins and then maybe you give like another pick or something like that, or basically you just trade Kirk Cousins for like a fourth-round pick. You're basically like, we just need him off our team. We'll basically give you nothing for him. We just want the salary gone. And then if you're, um, you know, if you're San Francisco, you're like, okay, give up that pick, and then we figure out a way to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, and then now we all of a sudden have the quarterback that Shanahan wants. Now they have a good offensive line. Cousins is a lot more durable than Jimmy Garoppolo, and I think that's the biggest detriment to Jimmy Garoppolo. I think if you're Shanahan, you're like, Jimmy Garoppolo can't play a full season. He always gets hurt. Now, on the other hand, Kirk Cousins, he's never missed a game when, like, the only time Kirk Cousins hasn't played a game is because he's been benched. So he's never missed a game due to injury. I don't think he's ever, I mean, he's rarely missed time due to injury. I don't think the dude's ever been hurt. Say what you want about Kirk Cousins, but he knows how to get state, he knows how to keep himself healthy. So Shanahan could see that as a value to say, even if Kirk Cousins isn't the best quarterback in the league, he's still a guy that runs my system, that will run everything I have to a T. We have a good enough defense. I can, you know, as long as he can right the ship, I can, we can go to the next level. There's a case to be made there. But if you're the Vikings, you have to admit that you were wrong on Cousins. And then you also have to have the cap flexibility to be able to give up first round picks for Deshaun Watson and take on that cap hit. And then if you're Mike Zimmer, you have to be willing to build your offense around a quarterback like Deshaun Watson. Now, maybe he he's willing to do that because I think Deshaun Watson is a mobile quarterback. And I think Zimmer actually, as much as he doesn't like the RPOs and all that kind of stuff, I think Zimmer actually doesn't hate the idea of a quarterback with mobility. Um, he loved a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, I think. Yeah, and more he loved him personally and I think his personality, but also all how Teddy kind of played it safe and all that kind of stuff. But I think Deshaun Watson's so talented. I think Mike and Mike Zimmer is not in love with Kirk Cousins. I think he'd be willing to do that. But again, are they all is Spielman willing to admit he was wrong? That's where I don't think that that's going to happen. But I want to go into the mobility thing for a second. Um, and again, Deshaun Watson has a no-trade clause. So he could look at the Vikings, he could see how they're run, and say, you know, I don't want to go to Minnesota. Even though the Vikings would instantly become playoff contender, Thielen, Jefferson, um, Dalvin Cook, all that kind of stuff, I think it'd be intriguing. I don't think he immediately says no, but I think, do I think he's one of the, they're one of the top teams? No, I think the Vikings still have question marks on defense. I still think they have to rebuild the defense. And I think all the cap money for Kirk goes away because I think Deshaun Watson is making way more money than Kirk Cousins. So you have to figure out the salary cap even further. Um, so again, 
I think that the Vikings have just twisted themselves in knots. I think that there is no realistic way that he ends up going to the Vikings. They just, they don't have the capital. They don't have the cap space. So I, I think it's all a pipe dream at this point, but I think there's, there's, but if there is a way, I don't think it's out of the equation, but I think that it's, if you're expecting it to happen, uh, I wouldn't, you might as well go buy a lottery ticket because there's a better chance you're going to win the lottery than, uh, than doing that. But mobility, that's the biggest thing I want to focus on. Mobility is success in this league if you're a quarterback. Statues in the pocket, the Peyton Mannings, the Tom Brady's, that's not where the future of the NFL is moving. Kirk Cousins is a statue in the pocket. Sam Bradford, remember him? He, he, he was worse than Kirk Cousins. He had cinder block feet. He was not mobile at all. And especially if you're a team like the Vikings who builds your team to run block and not pass block, your team isn't exactly the best in that situation. The Vikings, I think, they've been one of the bottom-ranked teams in terms of their pass-blocking abilities. They've been fairly average to above average in the run game. But again, you're building your team to run block. You're not building your team to pass block. And in this NFL, I don't know that that's what you want to be doing. But three of the four quarterbacks left. So Tom Brady, he's an enigma. Like Tom Brady, if you're ever Tom Brady's not the rule, he's most likely the exception when you think of a lot of things that you expect in your quarterback. Tom Brady thriving in today's NFL despite not being mobile is more of how Tom Brady is able of how smart he's able to kind of game plan himself and the offenses he's around and kind of how he approaches that. But I think that, you know, if you look at the other QBs left, if you look at the you know, if you look at the QBs left, like the Josh Allens, mobile, super mobile. If you look at Aaron Rodgers, he's mobile, he's slippery, he's able to get out of the pocket and make plays. And uh, if you look at Patrick Mahomes, obviously, like the, all three of those quarterbacks have done great work, some of their best work, getting outside of the pocket and just making things happen. Um, and then you look at the quarterbacks they played, the Lamar Jacksons, the, I mean, Jared Goff is probably more of a pocket passer, but he still has ability to kind of be mobile and to not just sit in the pocket. Um, Drew Brees, obviously, he's not what he was, but still, he's, again, fading out of that old guard of pocket passers. And then if, um, I'm trying to remember all the teams that were kind of in last weekend, but, um, you know, it's Cleveland, Baker Mayfield, he's a guy that, again, he's more of a pocket passer, but also he's a guy that still uses his legs. He's not just a straight up, I'm going to drop back in the pocket and sit there. That's what Kirk Cousins is. And I think you can win with that. It's just a lot harder. You need to find a quarterback that's mobile. And I think this is the last point of the podcast I want to get into. You can win with the way the Vikings are set up now. There is a path to them winning the Super Bowl. But it feels more like an Eli Manning, you just get hot at the right time and everything falls your way. Or a Joe Flacco, you get hot at the right time and everything just kind of falls your way. Like you're, I mean, well, I shouldn't say that. The, that Falcons team slayed Peyton Manning and Tom, or that that uh, Ravens team took down Tom Brady and Peyton Manning in the same year, both on the road, and Andrew Luck. But that was his first playoff game, so I don't really. Know. But the point is, is he took down th- three really good quarterbacks and three really good teams, took them down all, you know, and then ended up beating a Colin Kaepernick-led team, which was an offense that nobody had a clue how to figure out, you know. So again. There's a path to winning, but it feels more along the lines of you're a team that's good but not great and things just kind of break your way and you get hot at the right time. I think that it's probably the best, that's the only way you can win with the way the Vikings are set up now. It's kind of the stars all have to align. I mean, the stars have to align for you to get a Super Bowl anyways. I mean, look at Philadelphia. I mean, and again, look at any non-Patriots team. But even Patriots teams that have won the Super Bowl, 
You look at years where Tom Brady made the playoffs in the AFC. Sometimes they took down Peyton Manning. Other times they had to let Peyton Manning get taken down by, you know, by an Andrew Luck or by a Ben Roethlisberger or, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, sometimes it just works out like that. Um, You have to get, there's an element of luck in any kind of sports championship, even in dynasties. Stuff has to break your way a little bit, but it's incredibly hard to win a championship and it's incredibly harder the way the Vikings are doing it you have to have everything go right in the playoffs you have to have your team playing on all cylinders have to get hot at the right time which is another thing you have to get lucky about you know the team's philosophy I think is starting to wear on me I think it's a philosophy that can win games I just don't think it's a philosophy that can win 12 games consistently I think it's a philosophy that wins you 9 to 10 games consistently I think it's a philosophy that's good but not great it's a it's not bad but it's not good either like it's not, and I don't think Zimmer's a run, 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 I want to run because I'm old school. I think Zimmer turned into a run, run, run because he doesn't trust Cousins. That's what I think. Even the Case Keenum year, the Vikings ran the ball a lot with Latavius Murray, but they weren't run, Zimmer wasn't run, 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 run the ball into the ground, and maybe that's because they were winning. I don't know, or there was, you know, everything was just clicking, like his defense was so good, he didn't care. Whereas in 2018, the team kind of wasn't performing to expectations, so he took his frustration out on the offense. But even then, that's a detriment to how Zimmer's running this team. And I like Zimmer. I think he's a good coach. So I think that I just don't think that the way this team is built is good enough to win a Super Bowl. And I think that the way they're going forward, they're going to go into the draft, and they're going to, in the first round, they're either going to take a lineman or they're going to take a three-technique defensive lineman. Again, you're going to address the offensive line and the defensive line in the draft in your first-round pick. And even if it's a good pick... You're a team that's going to just kind of keep trying to build it the way you're doing. You're trying a team that's trying to plug a hole here and there instead of addressing the bigger issue, which is that the way you're playing football isn't going to win a Super Bowl in 2021 it's, or in just this modern NFL era. And I think I don't I think Zimmer's a guy who's willing to compromise on the run run run. I think he's kind of turned into that just because he doesn't trust Cousins and. I just, I, I don't think the quarterback marriage, I don't, I mean, do you hear Zimmer and Cousins gush about each other? I, they're, they have a great working relationship, I think, but, you know, it's not like they hate each other, but again, with Zimmer and Teddy, you saw that. Zimmer loved Teddy. He loved the leadership. He'd always gush about him, you know? Uh, it wouldn't be like that with, uh, it wasn't like that with Case. Zimmer didn't trust Case at all, but they kept winning, so everything just kind of got brushed under the rug, but... I mean, even bringing back Case Keenum, if you thought bringing back Case Keenum was going to fix things, it would have it would have still fallen flat, and then Zimmer still would have been frustrated. You know, you bring back Teddy Bridgewater. He's just not the same after the knee injury. I like Teddy. I really wish Teddy would have worked. I thought he would have before the knee injury. He would have been fine, but he wouldn't have been anything special. But I think the leadership qualities get making up for. I think you save some cap space. So I think that helps you. But I don't know. This whole Vikings team, it just it just feels like it's not working like it feels like it's a team that and again we talked about this before with the twins we talked about it before in this podcast with the wild the vikings and the will family they, they want a stable organization they want a team that's good they want a team that's always competing for the playoffs and sometimes you're a team that's always competing for the playoffs but you never get past the second round I mean, the Vikings got to the NFC Championship game once in 2017. The last time was 2009, and they sprinkled a few playoff appearances here and there. But the Wolves are okay with just having the Vikings be good. And that's not a problem with that initially. Like, the Wolves have been good owners, but I think they're more okay with the Vikings being 9-7, and 10-6 and 
And eventually, maybe they'll get frustrated at that. And maybe there was, and there was talks that maybe they let go of Zimmer if the Vikings lose that playoff game. But that might have been more to keep Stefanski than to, who, by the way, did a great job with Cleveland. You know, um, had them a couple misplays away from the AFC Championship game with Cleveland. Stefanski made Cleveland stable. He made them boring, which is good for Cleveland. He took all the drama out of Cleveland. And I, like, again... I think the Wilfs just need to figure out that they have to make a move here. They have to try and get better. You know, good is the enemy of great, whatever kind of phrase you want to use. The difference between ordinary and extraordinary is that little extra, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, All the little slogans that you saw on the loading screen of Head Coach, the video game. Um, They need to figure out what they're doing. They need to figure out what team they want to be. If they want to be a team that's going to go for it, if they want to be a team that's okay with 9-7. and Because right now, I think they're a team that's okay with 9-7. and I think they're a team that's okay. I think if the Vikings go 10-6 and six again, make a wild card spot, win or lose in the first round, I think they're okay with that. I think the only thing that's going to cause change is if the Vikings miss the playoffs again. But even if they miss it at like 7-9, 8-8, Zimmer could still make the case of we're rebuilding the defense and all this kind of stuff. It's just, I think the Vikings are just destined for mediocrity. They're destined for that no man's land of we're good enough to compete for the playoffs, but we're not bad enough to, you know, we're, we're not bad enough to where we're not in the playoff mix, but we're not good enough to where we're a team that can win the Super Bowl. So it'll be interesting to see how this offseason plays out, what kind of moves they make. I think the biggest headlines for the Vikings in the offseason is going to be the players that they get rid of and not the players they attain. I think that's going to be the highlight of the Vikings offseason. Rudolph, I think, is done. Reef is probably gone. Um, you know, there's some players that you're going to get rid of for salary cap reasons, just kind of moving on. You know, all that kind of stuff. I think Rudolph's going to make too much. I think Reef, they're just going to get rid of the final year of his contract. Um, I just think there's going to be a lot of changing of the guard here for some of some of this team from the older guys. And that's fine, but I don't think the Vikings are going to have the cap flexibility with Cousins' contract to be able to go out and make a big splash. Now, to get Michael Pierce back, especially, you know, Daniil Hunter, and that's another thing is you might have to re-sign him. You might have to kind of up his contract, give him a raise. So then there goes some of that money you save. I think this is a team that's probably just going to make, they're going to sign some veteran depth pieces here and there, and they're going to call it an offseason. I don't think they're really going to find any kind of starting options. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Or if they do find a starting option, it's going to be they're going to bring in some vet to try and play guard, and it's maybe going to work out, maybe it won't. We'll have to find out. So again, there's a lot going on in Minnesota sports. This was a full show. It was great. There was a whole lot going on. Not a whole lot of positivity. Um, if you're the wild, maybe we got the positivity right out of the window right away. Um, but anyway, uh, so hope you guys have a great week. Hopefully there's a lot more Minnesota sports and news going on. Hopefully the wolves can turn it around. Hopefully the wild can kind of keep on that kind of positive step here. And maybe the twins will sign somebody. I highly doubt it. I really hope so. I don't think so. Maybe some NFL action will happen. We'll have to see, but, uh, that should do it this week here on the Minnesota sports podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.